welcome everyone to Understanding the I Am That Is You podcast. Hey everybody, it's your girl Wayne Ruffin, and I pray all is well with everyone. And your hearts and minds are full of love, joy, and compassion for yourselves and everyone else all over the world. And we don't have to be near one another to radiate the divine love of our mighty I Am Presence. Because in thinking loving thoughts and being loving to others and in expressing those higher qualities of light, often we not only affect our personality and perceptions of the world, positively, but the expression of those higher qualities constantly expands the illumination of our inner beings most brilliantly to radiate the light of the living God that dwells within all of us, thus reaching the hearts and minds of individuals everywhere effectively and thereby raising the vibration of the collective consciousness with the all-chemical power of our loving energy, because love is that powerful. Amen. Give thanks and praises for love and life, and y'all be loved. Whether men are guarded by the angels? It is written, Psalm 91:11, He hath given his angels charge over thee, to keep thee in all thy ways. According to the plan of divine providence, we find that in all things the movable and variable are moved and regulated by the immovable and invariable, as all corporeal things by immovable spiritual substances, and the inferior bodies by the superior which are invariable in substance. We ourselves also are regulated as regards conclusions, about which we may have various opinions, by the principles which we hold in an invariable manner. It is moreover manifest that as regards things to be done, human knowledge and affection can vary and fail from good in many ways, and so it was necessary that angels should be deputed for the guardianship of men, in order to regulate them and move them to good. By free will, man can avoid evil to a certain degree, but not in any sufficient degree forasmuch as he is weak in affection towards good on account of the manifold passions of the soul. Likewise universal natural knowledge of the law, which by nature belongs to man, to a certain degree directs man to good, but not in a sufficient degree, because in the application of the universal principles of law to particular actions, man happens to be deficient in many ways. Hence it is written, the thoughts of mortal men are fearful, and our counsels uncertain. Thus, man needs to be guarded by the angels. As men depart from the natural instinct of good by reason of a sinful passion, so also do they depart from the instigation of the good angels, which takes place invisibly when they enlighten man that he may do what is right. Hence that men perish is not to be imputed to the negligence of the angels but to the malice of men. That they sometimes appear to men visibly outside the ordinary course of nature comes from a special grace of God, as likewise that miracles occur outside the order of nature. Whether each man is guarded by an angel? Each man has an angel guardian appointed to him. 
This rests upon the fact that the guardianship of angels belongs to the execution of divine providence concerning men. But God's providence acts differently as regards men and as regards other corruptible creatures, for they are related differently to incorruptibility. For men are not only incorruptible in the common species, but also in the proper forms of each individual, which are the rational souls, which cannot be said of other incorruptible things. Now it is manifest that the providence of God is chiefly exercised towards what remains forever, whereas as regards things which pass away, the providence of God acts as to order their existence to the things which are perpetual. Thus, the providence of God is related to each man as it is to every genus or species of things corruptible. The different orders are deputed to the different genera of things, for instance, the powers to coerce the demons, the virtues to work miracles and things corporeal, while it is probable that the different species are presided over by different angels of the same order. Hence it is also reasonable to suppose that different angels are appointed to the guardianship of different men. A guardian may be assigned to a man for two reasons, first, and as much as a man is an individual, and thus to one man one guardian is due and sometimes several are appointed to guard one. Secondly, inasmuch as a man is part of a community, and thus one man is appointed as guardian of a whole community, to whom it belongs to provide what concerns one man in his relation to the whole community, such as external works, which are sources of strength or weakness to others. But angel guardians are given to men also as regards invisible and occult things, concerning the salvation of each one in his own regard. Hence individual angels are appointed to guard individual men. Whether to guard men belongs only to the lowest order of angels? In the Psalm 90, the guardianship of men is attributed to the angels, who belong to the lowest order, according to Dionysius. Man is guarded in two ways, in one way by particular guardianship, according as to each man an angel is appointed to guard him, and such guardianship belongs to the lowest order of the angels, whose place it is, to announce the lesser things, for it seems to be the least of the angelic offices to procure what concerns the salvation of only one man. The other kind of guardianship is universal, multiplied according to the different orders. For the more universal an agent is, the higher it is. Thus, the guardianship of the human race belongs to the order of principalities, or perhaps to the archangels, whom we call the angel princes. Hence, Michael, whom we call an archangel, is also styled one of the princes, Daniel 10:13. Moreover, all corporeal creatures are guarded by the virtues, and likewise, the demons by the powers, and the good spirits by the principalities. Not all the angels who are sent have guardianship of individual men, but some orders have a universal guardianship, greater or less, as above explained. Even inferior angels exercise the office of the superior, as they share in their gifts, and they are executors of the superior's power and in this way all the angels of the lowest order can coerce the demons, and work miracles. Whether angels are appointed to the guardianship of all men? Man, while in this state of life, is, as it were, on a road by which he should journey towards heaven. On this road man is threatened by many dangers both from within and from without, according to Psalm 159:4. In this way wherein I walked, they have hidden a snare for me. And therefore, as guardians are appointed for men who have to pass by an unsafe road, so an angel guardian is assigned to each man as long as he is a wayfarer. When, however, he arrives at the end of life he no longer has a guardian angel, but in the kingdom he will have an angel to reign with him, in hell a demon to punish him. Christ as man was guided immediately by the word of God, wherefore he needed not be guarded by an angel. Again, as regards his soul, he was a comprehensor, 
although in regard to his passable body, he was a wayfarer. In this latter respect it was right that he should have not a guardian angel as superior to him, but a ministering angel as inferior to him. Whence it is written, Matthew 4:11, that angels came and ministered to him. In the state of innocence man was not threatened by any peril from within, because within him all was well ordered. But peril threatened from without on account of the snares of the demons as was proved by the event. For this reason, he needed a guardian angel. Whether an angel is appointed to guard a man from his birth? Angels are sent to minister, and that efficaciously indeed, for those who shall receive the inheritance of salvation, if we consider the ultimate effect of their guardianship, which is the realizing of that inheritance. But for all that, the angelic ministrations are not withdrawn for others, although they are not so efficacious as to bring them to salvation, efficacious, nevertheless, they are, inasmuch as they ward off many evils. Guardianship is ordained to enlightenment by instruction, as to its ultimate and principal effect. Nevertheless, it has many other effects consistent with childhood, for instance, to ward off the demons, and to prevent both bodily and spiritual harm. As long as the child is in the mother's womb it is not entirely separate, but by reason of a certain intimate tie, is still part of her, just as the fruit while hanging on the tree is part of the tree. And therefore, it can be said with some degree of probability, that the angel who guards the mother guards the child while in the womb. But at its birth, when it becomes separate from the mother, an angel guardian is appointed to it. Whether the angel guardian ever forsakes a man? The demons are ever assailing us, according to 1 Peter. 5-8, Your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion, goeth about, seeking whom he may devour. Much more therefore do the good angels ever guard us. The guardianship of the angels is an effect of divine providence in regard to man. Now it is evident that neither man, nor anything at all, is entirely withdrawn from the providence of God, for in as far as a thing participates being, so far is it subject to the providence that extends over all being. God indeed is said to forsake man, according to the ordering of his providence, but only in so far as he allows man to suffer some defect of punishment or of fault. In like manner it must be said that the angel guardian never forsakes a man entirely, but sometimes he leaves him in some particular, for instance by not preventing him from being subject to some trouble, or even from falling into sin, according to the ordering of divine judgments. Whether angels grieve for the ills of those whom they guard? Angels do not grieve, either for sins or for the pains inflicted on men. For grief and sorrow, according to Augustine, are for those things which occur against our will. But nothing happens in the world contrary to the will of the angels and the other blessed because they will cleave entirely to the ordering of divine justice, while nothing happens in the world save what is affected or permitted by divine justice. Both in man's repentance and in man's sin there is one reason for the angel's joy, namely the fulfillment of the ordering of the divine providence. The angels are brought into judgment for the sins of men, not as guilty, but as witnesses to convict man of weakness. Summa Theologica, by St. Thomas Aquinas, translated by the Fathers of the English Dominican Province, 1947. Codex, John, son of the Abbasaba Zechariah, conceived by his mother Anasabed in her hundredth year, had baptized for forty-two years when Jesus Messiah came to the Jordan to be baptized with John's baptism. 
but he will pervert John's doctrine, changing the baptism of the Jordan and perverting the sayings of justice. The baptism was changed from water to that of the Holy Ghost, undoubtedly in consequence of the ever-dominant idea of the Fathers to institute a reform, and make the Christians distinct from St. John's Nazarenes, the Nabatheans and Ebionites, in order to make room for new dogmas. Not only do the synoptics tell us that Jesus was baptizing the same as John, but John's own disciples complained of it, though surely Jesus cannot be accused of following a purely Bacchic rite. The parenthesis in verse 2 of John 4, though Jesus himself baptized not, is so clumsy as to show upon its face that it is an interpolation, Matthew makes John say that he that should come after him would not baptize them with water but with the Holy Ghost and fire. Mark, Luke and John corroborate these words. Water, fire, and spirit, or Holy Ghost, have all their origin in India, as we will show. Now there is one very strange peculiarity about this sentence. It is flatly denied in Acts 19:2-5. Apollos, a Jew of Alexandria, belonged to the sect of St. John's disciples, he had been baptized, and instructed others in the doctrines of the Baptist. And yet when Paul, cleverly profiting by his absence at Corinth, finds certain disciples of Apollos at Ephesus, and asks them whether they received the Holy Ghost, he is naively answered, We have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. Unto what then were you baptized? He inquires. Unto John's baptism, they say. Then Paul is made to repeat the words attributed to John by the synoptics, and these men were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus, exhibiting, moreover, at the same instant, the usual polyglot gift which accompanies the descent of the Holy Ghost. How then? St. John the Baptist, who is called the precursor, that the prophecy might be fulfilled, the great prophet and martyr, whose words ought to have had such an importance in the eyes of his disciples, announces the Holy Ghost to his listeners, causes crowds to assemble on the shores of the Jordan, where, at the great ceremony of Christ's baptism, the promised Holy Ghost appears within the open heavens, and the multitude hears the voice, and yet there are disciples of St. John who have never so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. Verily the disciples who wrote the Codex Nazareus were right. Only it is not Jesus himself, but those who came after him, and who concocted the Bible to suit themselves, that perverted John's doctrine, changed the baptism of the Jordan, and perverted the sayings of justice. H.P. Blavatsky It is useless to object that the present Codex was written centuries after the direct apostles of John preached. So were our Gospels. When this astounding interview of Paul with the Baptists took place, Bourdain's had not yet appeared among them, and the sect was not considered a heresy. Moreover, we are unable to judge how little St. John's promise of the Holy Ghost, and the appearance of the Ghost himself, had affected his disciples, by the displeasure shown by them toward the disciples of Jesus, and the kind of rivalry manifested from the first. Nay, so little is John himself sure of the identity of Jesus with the expected Messiah, that after the famous scene of the baptism at the Jordan, and the oral assurance by the Holy Ghost himself that this is my beloved son, Matthew 3:17, we find the precursor, in Matthew 11, sending two of his disciples from his prison to inquire of Jesus, Art thou he that should come, or do we look for another? This flagrant contradiction alone ought to have long ago satisfied reasonable minds as to the putative divine inspiration of the New Testament. But we may offer another question, if baptism is the sign of regeneration, and an ordinance instituted by Jesus, why do not Christians now baptize as Jesus is here represented as doing, with the Holy Ghost and with fire, instead of following the custom of the Nazarenes? 
In making these palpable interpolations, what possible motive could Irenaeus have had except to cause people to believe that the appellation of Nazarene, which Jesus bore, came only from his father's residence at Nazareth, and not from his affiliation with the sect of Nazarea, the healers. This expedient of Irenaeus was a most unfortunate one, for from time immemorial the prophets of old had been thundering against the baptism of fire as practiced by their neighbors, which imparted the spirit of prophecy, or the Holy Ghost. But the case was desperate, the Christians were universally called Nazoreans and Iessens, according to Epiphanius, and Christ simply ranked as a Jewish prophet and healer, so self-styled, so accepted by his own disciples, and so regarded by their followers. In such a state of things there was no room for either a new hierarchy or a new godhead, and since Irenaeus had undertaken the business of manufacturing both, he had to put together such materials as were available, and fill the gaps with his own fertile inventions. H.P. Blavatsky Beloved ones of my heart, let us intensify again tonight the acceptance and the call and the victory of the sacred fire of the angelic host. I'm keeping my word tonight, when I promise to return to you if you did your part of what was required. So, my presence with you tonight is an acknowledgement of your effort. Thank you for it. Applause, audience rising. Thank you so much precious ones. Won't you be seated please? There is something I wish to explain to you as we move into outer conditions more of the power of the angelic host, so that you will see more often the results of your calls, your acceptance, and the use of the sacred fire they direct. Now this is why the power of the angelic host can be intensified around you in a certain cosmic action that will bless you and all mankind. In the consciousness of the mass of the people of the world, there is within that life a certain acceptance of the angelic host because there is a race consciousness among the people of the world, that when someone is given protection in some crisis, and the individual comes out all right, almost without exception, someone says, well, your guardian angel was taking good care of you. Do you not know how often that is used in the outer world? Well, that is an innate knowing within the life of the people that the angelic host are the guardians of mankind in their experiences of this world. And so when you commence to recognize a sun presence of the guarding power of the great angelic host, you do not have the resistance, as you accept that, that you might on many things that the outer world has not yet established as a habit of acceptance. And so we would appreciate it greatly, as you call forth the sacred fire of the protection of the angelic host, the angelic host's protection by the sacred fire, that is at all times at hand, because in the atmosphere in which you move there is a certain action of the fire element that the angelic host produce, and no unascended being can interfere with that. So, as you go forward, try to feel the assurance, the absolute certainty, when you accept the protecting flame from the angelic host, that it is ever about you and ready to flash on an instant around you in any set of circumstances. And it can always flash quicker than any destructive force can act. Beloved Archangel Michael, If you will, enter into the continued use of the angelic host's protecting flame everywhere around all that is constructive, for of course, I assure you, the angelic host do not protect that which is not constructive. So as we move into the release of greater power, 
which you're going to require because we want you to accomplish greater things in a short time, and therefore, whatever needs to be done in outer, physical conditions can always have the assistance of the angelic host, if they are recognized and called to, and they're protecting flame drawn into outer conditions by your own conscious will and desire and love to them. Now we are drawing more and more power every day about you all. You are drawing more power every day through your decrees. And therefore, as the two streams of energy combine and are clothed in certain cosmic action of the sacred fire, legions of the angelic host will be called into the lower atmosphere of earth to hold about you, and in outer conditions, these activities of the sacred fire that control the affairs of mankind. Now as this service is given to the nation, it is automatically given to you to control your affairs. It will automatically act there. But never fail to remain humble and obedient and grateful before this great presence of life, the mighty I am, and the cosmic sacred fire which it is constantly releasing into outer physical conditions, to correct what mankind has caused to come into existence that produces confusion and destruction. Now you will notice, as you are aware more and more of the enfolding sun presence of the angelic host, you will notice a clearance of the mind. The mind becomes very much brighter, and you will have much assistance in anything to which you turn your attention, so long as it be constructive. And then as you make your calls, there will always be at hand one or more of the angelic hosts to assist you in ways and means that may not yet be revealed for months or years ahead. You know, long ago you heard the messenger say, and as we said many times, there must come more conscious cooperation between mankind and the angelic host. With your command that everything in your being and world be now a sun presence of the guarding flame of the angelic host, you will find the sacred fire in and around you will take care of conditions that you meet. We want you to become so invincible within this that wherever you abide, that sacred fire goes ahead of you and provides the best conditions possible, for your success and enjoyment. Beloved Archangel Michael, 